you know, Mimi and I, we matched on a dating thing. Oh, did we? That's how you met? Do you not remember that? No, we didn't meet that Wh- way. But... <laughs> right. was, this, was this recently or was this oh, a, long was a long time, time ago? ago? It was uh, when we were both in Colorado and, oh, uh-huh, and I we remember. met at yeah. that bar. What? Oh, oh my God, I remember. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, because I saw you and I was like, oh my God, it's been a million yeah. years. And then we're like, well, let's just go get a coffee or a drink or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I remember too. And then yeah. sparks flew, and here we are. <laughs> Who, so you, you did go on a date? I mean, we've known each other for a while. Yeah. Like Dylan, as a straight guy, yeah. whenever you match with somebody that you know in real life, they're always like, oh my God, LOL, isn't this hilarious? And so it's just, it's always like, no, I'm not interested in you at all. I just thought it was funny to see uh, you. I already know what a weirdo you are. This is hilarious. So the order of operations is you guys meet, become friends, have a storied career in comedy together. Then you match on Tinder and then LOL. Yeah. So this is going to be pretty challenging. It's important for us to pause for a moment. Okay. Life Pile. This is Life Pile Podcast, the only podcast that is insulated by a thin lipid bilayer. I am lifestylist and lifestyle expert Camden Johnson. And I'm sucking on a Flintstones push pop. Ooh, I'm so cold, gotta press my tongue to the roof of my mouth, Dylan Bragasa. I'm Mimi Hayes, and I'm trying not to laugh. I'm a brain expert and an author and comedian. Wow, brains are us. It's Ryland. Oh, Life Pile Podcast is the podcast for walking brains that don't let facts get in between them and the lifestyle section that they need to survive. Every week we bring you reviews on the biggest lifestyles to live, and we also give you some free on-the-air lifestyling. That's lifestyling that doesn't come cheap, y'all. We're paid tens of thousands of dolls, tens of thousands of dolls and doll hairs to lifestyle for the biggest most famous elon musk just gave me a call the other day i first met her when she evac'd me out of a hot spot on a solar flare i'm an astronaut and she is too mimi hayes brain expert is on the show mimi thanks for joining us thank you for having me as a famous philosopher once said let's go back back to the beginning back when the earth the sun the stars all align that was professor hillary duff where (laughs) were you born i was born in aurora colorado (gasps) wait you're an a baby oh i think i knew that is that really what you call yourselves (laughs) ryland a babies (laughs) Uh, I don't think so, but we do now. Life pile starting <laughs> trends. So born and raised in Aurora, Colorado? Correct. All Correct. right. Then flash forward to just a couple of years later, we're all at school together. Yeah. It's a theme on this podcast. We really like to have CU alum come through. We mm-hmm. all attended Hogwarts School of Magic together. I remember yeah. it well. Remember when somebody put hair in my transforming spell and I turned into a possum? Oh, man. <laughs> you, oh, jeez. What a crazy. I was playing dead all night long. And then we all put our hands in the middle and pressed down on that eject button on the same time. <laughs> Dylan flew off to Chicago to be really poor and work as a restaurant host. Cam worked at a nursing home and Rylan went to shovel uh, animal feces at the Denver Zoo. <laughs> Mimi, where did you end up? I ended up in New York City, currently sitting on my Ikea bed that I built with my own two hands. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that an amazing feeling to be like, I'm a carpenter. (laughs) You're in the same field as Jesus. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, I'm in New York City. I'm in Brooklyn, but I'm kind of like far from everything. So I try not to leave my house if I don't have to, because it takes me a million years to get anywhere. Yeah, I hear that 
that makes online dating really difficult. Yes, it does. <laughs> so what happened in Brooklyn, New York, New York City that got you into the business of brains? So my business of brains is actually pre-Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah, pre-Brooklyn, post-Hogwarts. So right after I graduated from CU Boulder, I was just about to become a teacher in Denver, Colorado. I had all of my lesson plans ready. I was doing my student teaching, so I still had a main teacher I was working under and I had my classes and I was super excited, got all my cute outfits and uh, just just a few days into student teaching, I had a brain hemorrhage actually. Oh my God. Yeah. What is a brain hemorrhage? A brain hemorrhage is like a bleed. Oh. And so it sounds so scary, I know, but like it's kind of not as dramatic as it sounds. It just kind of like happens. Like I didn't get hit by a car or nothing. Like no student came and like stabbed me in the back of the head. Um, <laughs> although they weren't like fans of me. They're like, you're really trying too hard, lady. Like <laughs> you, you care a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, I had a had a brain hemorrhage. Actually, oddly enough, I'm... I'm really positive that it happened um, when I was on a blind date. Whoa. Oh, no. Yeah. What yeah. What was that like? How bad was that blind date? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I didn't know that this is what was happening. I was just like, oh, I have a headache. And like my ears are throbbing and like he's kind of boring. So like, let me just hurry up and get these cheese fries. Girl, I have been there as well. Uh, <laughs> So that, yeah, he did not get a second date because a few days after that, symptoms started to get kind of worse and I was like seeing double and I was really clumsy. Like I'm a pretty, I was a pretty coordinated person, I like to believe. I did play ice hockey once upon a another life but I just was really clumsy and like nauseous and all these things were happening and um, eventually ended up in the ER and that's where they were like hey your brain's bleeding actually which was not like the funnest information to get right and then they asked you have you had any dates with exceedingly boring (laughs) men recently (laughs) what's crazy is before this point I actually had gone to my doctor with my mom and I was like yeah I'm just kind of feeling off and she was like oh like you're 22 so like Uh. are you like depressed like she even asked me she's like have you been through any breakups lately and I totally had and I was like uh Okay, I guess I'm just super depressed. Is that what this is? They're using breakups um, as a way to dismiss <laughs> legitimate medical problems. Yeah, after like the ER that found this little nugget of cells that had like hemorrhaged, then my doctor was like, oh, oh, okay. And I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, listen, this is a bit more serious than you had uh, told us it was. Got anything you want to say to me, Doc? Maybe he starts with an S and ends with, sorry! <laughs> so where do you go from there? You get the news and what's next steps? So then um, I met with my neurosurgeon who was so handsome. Oh. He was great. He was a really handsome man. And he was like twice my age, maybe? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Okay. Can you paint a radio picture for us? He had like this like salt and pepper hair <gasps> and no. he was very like when he talked about my brain, he was like very calm wow. and I was like, oh my God, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> tell me everything. But he was like, hey, like we don't want to touch this right now like in your brain because it's kind of touch it doc touch it (laughs) it's kind of deep in there we don't want to go in there and i'm like okay fine and he says you know go home and i was living with my parents at the time in a town and uh they were like yeah go on bed rest and i was like okay bed rest all right fine so i just went home and didn't teach you know gave up my classes to the other teacher and i was like yo, we can't do this right now, I guess. So over that like month of time that I was supposed to be like healing was the thought that I was going to like get better from there. The bleed actually got bigger about the size of like a quarter. And what that did to my brain was like stop communicating with other parts of my body. So like half my body, my left side, like didn't work. I couldn't like type. I couldn't like hold a guitar. I was seeing double like full time. I lost like 20 pounds of muscle mass, which was weird because wow. I was like Jeez. a hockey player slash like runner. So I was like, what the heck's happening to my body right now? 
and it happened pretty fast, you know, like it was a very quick, like, you know, atrophy situation. And then the kind of the, the tipping point, so to speak, was when I couldn't taste mm. on the left side of my tongue, which to me at this time, I was like heavily in denial. Like I was like completely not with the program. So I'm sitting there like, oh, I can't taste my Captain Crunch. Like, isn't that funny? And like my parents just freaked out and they're like, oh my God, you can't taste? Like that's not a good thing. That's also not a funny thing. So like, yeah. let's get you back to um, Bay, Dr. Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> So we went back to him and he was like, yeah, this got bigger. It's time to time to get in there now. So we did a brain surgery. Wow. And it was it's yeah. a bleed. Yeah, it was like a hemorrhage. And the little the little clumpy of cells that it was in was called a cavernous angioma mm. or hemangioma. Somebody corrected me the other day and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Hemangioma. <laughs> yeah. So it just luckily for me, um, it was just inside of that clump of cells. So like mm. I think normally if you have like a stroke, it just goes everywhere in your brain and yeah. it like causes damage. But for me, I think it just was inside of that little, little pocket, little happy little pocket. Yeah. You had a water balloon in your brain. Yes. Wow. Went ahead and they took it out of there and things got crazier from there. When I got out of surgery, first of all, I woke up like thinking that I had like died that I had like woken up like prematurely. I don't know if you see this in movies, but like people like wake up during brain surgery. You always hear it's like, oh, someone so like woke up when they were like in his brain. So anyway, I'm just sitting there thinking like, this is what's happened to me. And I'm like, oh my God, am I dead? Like, did I wake up? Cause everything's beeping and the sounds are coming back and mm. they're like, oh my God, Dylan's like freaking out. <laughs> but they were like, yeah, you're alive. Like you made it to the other side. Like, you know, this side, you're still alive. But I was seeing everything now double and sideways. Oh, my God. So what? now my vision was like, yeah, yeah. So that was crazy. And um, eventually I think it went upright again within a day or two, I think. Um, but the double vision took a few months to actually correct. So, oh. yeah. So there was a lot of weird things I had to, like, relearn. Like, I had to relearn how to walk. Like, they sent me to a rehab wow. center. And I, like... My brain was like, yo, we got to go back to basics. We don't even know how to stand, you know, like we got to like figure this out. <laughs> so I was like a little baby. I was like a baby slash elderly person, like in a rehab center. So um, I was just kicking it in rehab for two weeks and did a bunch of therapy and a bunch of like those third grade math problems oh. that are like, if a train leaves at 10 a.m. and goes to this station and the other train, like I was like, oh, my God, I hate these. It's like um, physical therapy for your brain. You're doing like brain pushups. Uh-huh. Exactly. And I had no idea how they were going to fix these things. And with my eyes, it was as simple as putting a piece of kind of like clear tape. I mean, just enough to like cover one eye. Oh. They put a piece of clear tape over my glasses just on one one eye. And then it tricked my brain into seeing singular again. Wow. So like I don't have any special glasses. Like I have, I'm a normal person with normal eyes now. Like, wow. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was a freaky thing is because that was the biggest kind of symptom was that and like my mobility mm -hmm. and they just fixed it with like a piece of piece of tape on my glasses. And I was like, Oh, that's super DIY. That's really crafty. Now I know how American healthcare works. Did that tape on your glasses cost $5,000? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, my dad told me one time how much my whole brain situation cost. Oh, like boy. if I wouldn't have had healthcare and I was like, is that a real number? Wow. Is that a, is that a number? <laughs> like I freaked out. I was like, what? Um, he's like, yeah. And then I was like, well, how much did we pay? And they say we, it's like them. Like how much money did they pay for my brain? And they're like, yeah, yeah. We paid a bit of money. It's fun. You're alive. We like that. Like we're a fan. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. And like, I honestly was on the brink of like adulthood, mm. you know? And I was still living with my parents and I like, didn't have a job, you know, this was my first like intro to the adult world and a job. And right out the gate, it was like, and you're done. Just sit tight for a few months. You can't handle it. You can't hack it. So 
Yeah, all those millennials that post all those pictures saying adulting, and then you're posting a video of you learning how to walk again, and you're like, adulting. <laughs> learning how yeah, to walk. adulting. Yeah, it was, it was so weird. It's weird that I almost kind of missed that, like, recovery time slash, like, getting sick time because I was just watching so much Netflix. I was, like, writing a book. I, like, I was taking naps. Like, whenever I was tired, I would just nap. I was eating whatever I wanted like I couldn't taste half of it and I was losing all this weight and I was sick and terrible but like I was just chilling you know now I'm like in the world and I'm hustling I am ashamed of myself because I thought we were friends but apparently not because I had thought you had gone through this and everything was sort of done and over with and now you've gone on to be your cool awesome successful self but uh, we were just talking before the show, and I guess there's still some lingering symptoms. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing to, like, worry about. I'm, like, an extremely high-functioning person that's had this happen to me. Um, a lot of people that have this kind of thing happen, like, they can't use their arms. Wow. And I don't have all that, but I do still struggle with, like, stimuli and sound and fatigue. And I do still have, like, some double vision, like, in the corners of, like, my left eye mostly when I'm, like, tired in the mornings. So, like, these are all things that I just, like, deal with now. And I'm like, eh, it's fine. You know, but I still like think about them and I'm like, oh man, you know, like, or I get dizzy or I like trip and I stumble. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm in New York City, like the scariest place for someone like me to be. So, you know, ideally I should be in like a cabin in the woods by myself, <laughs> like just quiet, peaceful with like a dog, you know, and this like kicking it. Mm -hmm. So you know, there are just there are some things that I just still struggle with, but nothing, nothing like other people. But you did just lie because you said you get fatigued and you are one of the busiest people I know. <laughs> OK, so you go through this. You write a book. Mm -hmm. You're doing stand up. You're doing a book tour. You are doing so much. Could we talk about some of that stuff? Yes, we can. And <laughs> to answer your question, I don't know how I'm doing it with like the level of fatigue that I have. I started writing the book actually when I was diagnosed with the cavernous angioma. And my friend was like, hey, you should write a book about this. Because also a little little bit of context. I had just gotten dumped from a five year long relationship right before. Hell then. yeah. Um, That's what caused this all. <laughs> Yeah, that happened. So I uh, was super like double whammy of life, like a breakup and a brain hemorrhage. Like, this is so funny. When it rains, <laughs> it pours. Yeah. And my friend's like, hey, you should write a book about it because like then you could be um, on Ellen, you know. <laughs> I was like, OK, I like Ellen. I love Ellen, you know, and uh, I've never written a book before, but OK. And so I just went home that night and I started typing. And since I could only use my right hand, I was just typing with one hand. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, this is going to take a long time. You're like oh, eight boy. words per minute. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just slowly started to do that. And at first it was just a bunch of nonsense. It was just a bunch of like, I don't really know what this means for my life, but my head's bleeding. And let's, I guess, laugh at that. Then once I was in the hospitals and like meeting really interesting people, I was kind of documenting that. And as I was healing, I was, you know, able to use my hands again and like was typing more. And then I got right back into teaching, like almost instantly. I mean, just a few months out of brain surgery, I was back wow. in the classroom. So how I did that, I don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of coffee and like breaks where I would like go into like the teacher's lounge and like sit and like be quiet by myself and like try to like decompress, you know, because classrooms are scary like when you yeah. have a brain injury there's lots of sounds and kids are demanding yeah no brain injury required yeah yeah and at least those kids my first classroom they were really nice to me because they had seen me when i was sick like the same uh, the same kids i had for those first five days right before my brain surgery get this uh, the hospital is right across the street from the high school oh my God. and i had just had my second mri explained to me and they had just said, like, we're going to schedule you for a brain surgery in like three days. And so I get a good idea. I'm like, hey, mom, can we go across the street and go to the high school and say hi to my kids? Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, 
okay. And so we go over there and I like, you know, I have my cane <laughs> and like, like I knock on the door. Yeah. And like, oh my God, these, I freaked them out. So <laughs> hardcore. I mean, I looked like hell and they're like, oh my God, miss, are you going to die? And I was like, ah, LOL, maybe like, <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> So it was just like a very like scary moment because I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go in and have a quick little operation done. No big deal on Friday, you know? Yeah, I freaked them out. You know, Mimi, you might have a whole second book on your hands because you could really publish this as education theory, classroom management, how to get your kids <laughs> to behave. This is, could be a, the new standard of practice. Yeah, you just like fake your death and then they respect <laughs> you. <laughs> And you better believe, like, when I came back, they they were really sweet. They gave me a standing ovation, and they clapped for me uh, when I walked in. So it was very cinematic. I felt very special. They, like, stood on their chairs and did the whole <laughs> captain, my captain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, you mentioned meeting a lot of interesting people while you were in the hospital. I want to go back to uh, someone who seems like the most important person in this story. Uh, what about this hot doctor that uh, you had mentioned? Yes. Dr. Crawford. Oh, yeah, he was great. He didn't shave my whole head, which I really respected oh. and admired about him because I had talked to some other people in the hospitals who had like, I mean, just botched, just like completely botched hair. Like the scar would be like all crooked and weird. And like here I am with like he only shaved like a little strip of my hair oh. in the back. And then my scar, my stitch line is so straight. I'm like, wow. Dr. Crafts. He's, so, he's a craftsman. <laughs> he's a craftsman. You're over here building <laughs> IKEA beds, and he's over there just stitching you up straight. And right, you guys are meant for each other. Yeah. Unfortunately, like the last time I called, um, I think I was scheduling an MRI or something. It was a couple of years ago. And um, I was like, yeah, is, is, uh, he said, is Dr. Crawford there? And they're like, oh, he's no longer with us. And I was like, what? oh my God, he died? He died? <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 he didn't die they're like he just moved to like nebraska <gasps> he said something about being so in love with the patient that he couldn't behave mm. professionally anymore and he just had to excuse himself out of the situation i'm literally gonna make it my life's mission for my podcast to go and find him and interview him so don't worry i'll find yes him. it's yes. meant to be Ooh. But what is the name of your podcast it's called mimi and the brain love that mm. is it a duo morning show type podcast you're mimi and your crazy co-host is the brain <laughs> a whoosh. It, it's more of like I interview really established brain experts and like scientists mm, wow. I go into their research and their area of expertise so I've done like jazz music in the brain I did like um, the impact of AIDS on the brain I did memory I did perception history of brain injuries yeah really these people have like fascinating research and so I just talk to them about their thing and then I kind of like weave in there I'm like, so do you know why my brain is messed up? <laughs> <laughs> my turn. <laughs> and it's actually really funny because they, they enjoy hearing about my story. And um, there's always something I can find. And I'm like, oh, that was that part of my brain? Like, I always thought it was this part of my brain that was impacted. But now that you're talking, it sounds like it was kind of all parts of my brain. So it's it's just very educational, very funny, which, like, I don't think a lot of people know that neurology can be fun. So I enjoy, like, breaking that down for people so that they can get the science and not be like, oh, I'm not an academic, so I can't access academia I just think it's so brave of you to come on this show, which you directly ripped off, uh, and just talk about your own show. It's crazy. Mimi, your podcast definitely sounds like my next podcast binge, because goodness yeah, knows I'm always great. looking for another podcast to binge. Oh, great. So we, we talked about the podcast. We never mentioned the name of your book, though. I'll Be Okay. Oh, right. It's just a hole in my head, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. I actually was so committed to getting back into that classroom. So I was teaching and I was teaching and I was not writing as much because teaching was like 80 hours a week and I was trying to survive. It consumed my whole life, you know, and I was excited for it, but I was also like drowning in it. So I kept doing that. I got to my second year of teaching and I had spent that summer 
before kind of like rewriting my book a bit. And I started kind of working with people and trying to get the the story out as I was like entering my second year as a teacher. And I had a moment where I just, I got out of another relationship. <laughs> so I was like rock bottom again. And I was like, okay, what am I doing with my life? And I'm like, well, I'm not happy. Like I wasn't being a comedian. I wasn't being a writer. I was just like trying to survive the classroom again. So I got to this point where I was like, okay, well, maybe you don't want to be a teacher anymore. That's terrifying. But if that's true, then like, what else do you want to do? And I had gone to New York City in 2015, you know, post-injury. I'd gone to New York City to um, do an improv class. I did a UCB 101, you know, week-long crash course. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is insane. And I was like, no, that's terrifying. You can't just like go to New York City and like be a comedian and be a writer and like do improv. Like you can't just do that. That's like, you're obviously going to start this new job, you know? So I kind of locked that away, that experience. And I was like, oh, New York City. And then um, arrived back at that dark place. And I was like, New York City? Hmm? What do you think? Like, (laughs) do you want to give it another go? And I planned for like nine months. I pulled all of my money out of my like, teaching savings account. I just kind of geared up for this big move across the country. I had no idea what I was doing. I printed out my manuscript, which by that time was pretty decent. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess we're going to try to get this published and like get a job and work at BuzzFeed. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I went to an improv show And I was unemployed still after several months of being in New York City, living in this giant commune of people. And the cast like invited me out to get a beer with them afterwards. And I didn't have any friends. So I was like, yes. And we started talking and this guy was like, hey, you know, like, what are you doing? Who are you? And I was like, I'm writing a book and it's not published, but, you know, hmm." and he's like, oh tell me more. And I told him about my book and he was like, Oh, I know someone who is a publisher. Do you want me to like send them your first 10 pages and say that I know you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mind if you do. And he did. And that ended up becoming my, my publisher. So that never would have happened in a town, you know, in my classroom, I was just in a different phase of life where I just didn't feel like I was taking risks or being an artist or a writer or a comedian, any of those things. I was not like claiming those identities. And then when I got here, I was like, yeah, it's pretty scary, but I, I'm going to be those things, you know? (laughs) And, um, so now I'm, I'm working, I'm doing my best. I'm promoting my book. I'm going on speaking tours. I'm doing a lot of crazy things I never thought I would do. You're on Life Pile. I'm on <laughs> Life Pile. Whoa. Yeah, it is. And it's it's so fun to watch everyone, you know, year, I've known you guys for so long. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a big period of time where I didn't see you when a lot of crazy stuff happened mm-hmm. in my life, in your lives, I'm sure. And so, like, it's really fun to talk to you again and be like, oh, this is where we're at. Like, Life Pile, like, this is where we've come to is, is right here. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so do you think ultimately your medical emergency is what pushed you to take these risks? And so it's been a positive in your life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are probably people in my life from before that wouldn't even recognize me now just mm-hmm. because of the way I live my life and the risks I take. Like I never I was not the kind of person. I mean, I don't know if you remember me from those days, but I was like kind of quiet. I was not like a risk taker. I did see you. Maybe it was on Instagram, but you were going into stores and finding your books. And I saw you carrying all the copies of your own book. And then were you signing them and then putting them in the front of the store? (laughs) Okay. So something you should know first is that my book, for some reason, it's categorized as like health and wellness, which I guess makes a little bit of sense, but it's more of like a memoir. Like it's not like I would love for to be next to like Elizabeth Gilbert and like, you know, Brene Brown. But no, it's um sandwiched on the bottom row of the health and wellness section in between like heal your migraines and like oh boy. Alzheimer's oh for beginners. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I literally go find my book 
There's three copies. They look great. I pull them <laughs> off the shelf and I'm like, okay, you guys are coming with me. <laughs> and uh, I go downstairs and I start like looking for places to put it that looks like it would sell better, right? And so I started putting them on the front tables. Oh my God. But I kind of had a hard time because some of these these books, they have 10, 20 copies yeah. up there on the table. And I have like three, right? So I had to find a good spot for them. But I found some good spots and I started going around to other Barnes and Nobles and doing that. Um, <laughs> but then I got kind of smart. I got kind of smart and I actually talked to one of the guys and I was like, hey, you know, I'm just looking for my book. It's my book. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you grab them? Go get them. And then I went and got my book. I knew exactly where they were, you know, and I grabbed him and he was like, here, sign him. I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's so why I signed my book. He slapped a little sticker on there that said like autograph copy. Mm. And then he's like, yeah, I can put one in the window if you want. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want that so bad. That's all I've ever wanted. Like, you know, and uh, so I put a, w- a window copy and then he put some copies in the front table. So whether or not that makes any kind of impact, <laughs> I don't know. But it's out there. I think the fact that there are only three copies is good for you because it's like, oh, this book is so popular. Right. There's only three left. Yeah. yeah. Looking good. Looking good. I have one last question about uh, your brain, Pangea. Did you get it <laughs> when they took it out? And if so, Ugh. did you eat it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, you know, I uh, they did take it out. I never saw it. I don't think he ever asked me if I wanted it. I'm going to be Aww. honest. But Come you on, know what? <laughs> I think maybe, maybe he still has it. Oh, I bet he does. <laughs> Up in Nebraska. Yeah, he keeps it in the locket. <laughs> he's got it on a chain around his neck, oh just waiting God. for me to come and claim uh, it. He's out there in the cold Nebraska snow. He's chopping wood for the furnace. He looks to the sunset and he grasps that locket on his hairy chest, salt and pepper chest. And he looks to the sunset with a single tear coming down his eye. I keep waiting for her to ride over that ridge and and I'll put it up to her brain and see if it fits. And if it does, I know she's the one. She's the one for Dr. Crawford. The book is I'll Be Okay. It's just a hole in my head. A memoir on heartbreak and head trauma by Mimi Hayes. It's available everywhere books are sold. The podcast is Mimi and the Brain. Available everywhere podcasts are sold. Mimi Hayes, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and offering your expertise as a brain expert. Can we ask you to continue that favor and help us lifestyle for all the brave lifestyle army out there? Yes, absolutely. I loved being a part of this and I'm excited for feeling the life keep piling up. Yeah. I'm excited for it. All right. Well, wait until I'm done with my segment and then you'll see how you feel about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Give us your segment. Ooh. Yeah, Ryland. Nosedive us. Okay. Okay. So I thought we'd bring back from the Halloween episode a stack it, a life pile uh, stack uh, it. Oh, check, it up, check it up, boys and girls. Okay. So I went to google.com. I mean, sorry. I went to bing.com and I searched. <laughs> bizarre brain injuries and i bet you guys have heard before or at least some of you but prosopagnosia oh yeah yeah no (laughs) all right i know cam at least has face blindness have you heard of this dylan now oh yeah because this is cam oh i might maybe have a bit of it cam cannot remember any person he just sees a bunch of beige blobs walking around all the time and there's no way for him to tell who's who there's a spectrum of colors this is why i really like (laughs) japanese anime because the good guy has a big blue hair and the girl's got the pointy green hair and i can tell them (laughs) apart but the girl (laughs) the girl with the dragon tattoo the plot hinged on being able to tell the difference between blonde swedish women and i i was like i had no idea there was like apparently 20 people in the cast I only saw three. Mm. <laughs> so for people that don't know what this means, it's pretty self-explanatory, but face blindness is you don't recognize any faces at all. They're always generic to you. It can even be your own face. You're looking in a mirror oh. and you don't even recognize yourself. Like there was this one guy I heard about. He was looking in what he thought was a mirror and trying to fix his hair and he realized it was a window and he was actually looking through at a different person <laughs> oh, and trying to fix their hair. <laughs> but I, I'm not surprised. Cam, you could 
could possibly have this because as much as 2.5% of people may be born with this. That's a lot more than I thought. So this all got very personal <laughs> all of a sudden. Cam, it's going to be, you're going to be okay. You know, when you say that, it gives me a lot of confidence. Ooh. I don't think I've ever had that, actually. There are some <laughs> other other weird names of things that I have experienced. Um, aphasia? Aphasia? What, what's that? So that is when you can't say a word. Like, you know what the word is, but you can't say it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what they were showing me a bunch of pictures, like, little, like, kindergarten, like, pictures like you know identify these objects in like rehab and one was like a house and like a car and you know simple ones and I was like house car like I'm nailing this I got this covered and then she got to um oh see I can't have a hard time with it now uh and eat no no it's not an easel it was Uh-oh. a tripod oh <laughs> I couldn't say the oh. word I couldn't say the word tripod but it was like a you know a tripod like for a camera and she was like what is this and I was like I literally can't tell you like wow. don't have a freaking clue like, I knew exactly what it was I just couldn't say it and that's that's a face yeah so you could be like it's the three-legged thing that holds up a camera but yeah you, okay yeah. Huh. All right. So that was the first one. Now, I maybe we shouldn't do a stack it because I was imagining like, which one would you rather have? And maybe that's a little insensitive. So maybe I'm going to scratch that part off okay. and we'll just talk about some of them. Um, OK, next one. We have foreign accent syndrome. Have you guys heard of this? No, I've heard of this one. So, yeah, some people, they have a stroke. And then after that, like there was this Irish woman. She had a stroke. And then a couple months later, she recovered her speaking ability and started speaking with a French accent. <gasps> she had never gone to France and only had ever spoken English, but now she had a French accent. There's been 70 cases in the past 80 years. So Mimi, before this thing, did you have an Australian accent? No, no. Oh. <laughs> and I'm actually pretty bummed because I've heard of that too. And I wanted to wake up from surgery, like speaking fluent French and uh-huh. that didn't take place. And I'm wondering what parts of the brain that must be in the language center then, you know, right. in like more of your like frontal lobe area. So mine was all in the back. So um, none of that fun stuff, yeah. you know, just like limbs don't work. You know, none of that fun <laughs> side effects. I've, I've heard about this happening in people where they get an accent that, doesn't exist they just get like a weird the kind of accent a college freshman has i don't know what that means oh i spent a summer in britain so that's how i got this british accent oh cam's yeah. talking about a roommate we used to have um <laughs> there's there's many people who do the same thing i think that's the most embarrassing if you have a french accent they're like oh got it from france but if you you're just like Hello. Then people are like, what are you? Why? Don't. I spent May in Paris. I did a semester abroad on Jupiter. My dad was a speaking spell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, How about exploding head syndrome? Oh, God. I've heard of this one. Oh, boy. This is a disorder? You might have it. uh, No. Not realized because it could potentially affect 10% of people. Oh. Yes, but it's not what you might think it is. Your head doesn't explode. But when you're falling asleep or waking up, you hear explosions in your head. Oh. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. band explosions in the sky. I love ambient <laughs> rock. Puts me right to sleep. <laughs> Mimi, did you experience this? So is this like a PTSD related thing? Where yeah. you like do people I've actually heard it referred to as like gunshot migraines. Hmm. It is you you can just be sitting there and suddenly you just hear as if someone shot off a gunshot right next to your head. You just hear a loud explosion. Sounds Bam. like PTSD. From from what I saw, the cause is unknown, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were some PTSD cases. Oh, wow. That would be so scary. It reminds me of, have you heard of those dreams where like you feel like you're falling or like when you're falling asleep, you feel as if you're falling and it wakes you back up and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be some evolutionary thing of when we would sleep in trees or something. Oh, I, I, don't know. I have that. Mm, I do get like dizzy. Like if I like flip over to my other side, I'll get like a wave of like, uh, like I just got off a teacup ride. So that's probably still Jeez. part of my, my brain situation. I don't even know what that one's called. Someone, I think one of my, one of my brain pals, my brain buddies mm-hmm. told me something about that the other day. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I do have that. Oh shoot. Like, you know, and it was some fancy word for it. So I'm like, uh, I get dizzy. 
Maybe a vestigial leftover instinct from when early hominids used to sleep in teacup rides. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be prepared for predators. (laughs) Mimi, so one of the things that you talked about was not being able to feel part of a side of your body, right? Yeah, it was like weakness. It was like I still could touch and like feel. Uh It was just like my limbs started to like atrophy up. You know, nothing that anyone could see on me, but definitely the side has had to recover mobility. So, well, have you have you heard of alien hand syndrome? Oh, is that where you lose a limb, phantom limb? Oh, is that no, different? It's it is different than that. This so there was okay. alien hand syndrome's my favorite one, Ryland. <laughs> Can I explain? Yeah, it? sure, go for it. <laughs> So uh, the brain has two hemispheres, and I loves to talk about them. Um, but the main connection between those two he- hemispheres is the corpus callosum. Uh, but they discovered back in the 1900s, I want to say around the 1960s, that seizures tend to be like an electrical storm in the brain. It starts off with a bunch of cells firing off randomly, and then it spreads across the whole brain. They discovered that if they separated the corpus callosum, then the storm would start up in one hemisphere, but it could never reach the other hemisphere and like eliminated seizures for a lot of people. But then they started having this other experience where they couldn't tell you they lost their sense of proprioception of where one of their hands were. So if I was to look in the eyes and point at my left hand, I wouldn't know where to point. And then their hand would do stuff on their own. So like they'd try to close a book and their left hand would just shove their hand into the page. One patient, whenever she tried to smoke, her left hand would just grab the cigarette and throw it away. Wow. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. So you can't tell where your hand is and it does its own thing all the time. Yeah. Wow. I saw a story about this and it was a lady. She had a stroke and when she woke up, she thought her arm was her brother's arm and it wouldn't do what she wanted it to do. And so I'm just imagining her waking up and her arm is just constantly eating Cheetos. And she's like, Greg, stop this Cheetos. I'm not hungry. You guys ever hear about mirror touch synesthesia? No. No. So it's, I think I have. Really of course. It's basically, instead of emotional empathy, it's physical. So you see physical things happening to other people and you feel them happening to yourself. Ooh. Yeah. That could be really bad depending on what movies you like to watch. Uh-huh. Or really good. <laughs> or really good. <laughs> Hello. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have heard of that. Yeah, I think that's crazy. I think I was only just in my own body. I did have a lot of like old people friends in rehab. So we would always like talk about like our progress in therapy mm-hmm. and like we'd like do little wheelchair races in the hallway. <laughs> you know, I always was trying to get them to like do crazy stuff with me because like they're old and like I feel old and I can't do stuff. <laughs> and I would like make cookies and like go around the hospital and try to give them cookies and they're like we can't have sugar oh what do you call that what do you call that when you can't have sugar diabetic yeah okay (laughs) tripod (laughs) yeah exactly wow my last one here is stendhal syndrome so it's when people experience particular pieces of art or particular locations, and it can have an extreme psychological impact on them. And one of the most unique cases is Japanese people visiting Paris. What? <laughs> I've heard of this one. <laughs> I've heard of this one. <laughs> So hey, Zuz, 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 did okay. I win this run? There's yes. points, right? Yeah, won yeah, Cam, right? you right? won, you won. Because I heard all of them when I Zuz. Uh huh. Yes, yes. Boom. <laughs> so. W- I guess in Japan, a big thing there is like idolizing Paris as like this beautiful romantic city. And so when Japanese people visit there, it can have such a negative psychological impact seeing how shitty Paris actually is (laughs) (laughs) that they go into a huge spiraling depression that the Japanese embassy even set up a hotline for people experiencing this exact thing. Wow. I mean... The first time you go to the city of love and you see a mime taking a 
piss on a chapel and then using a baguette to dry himself off. <laughs> All the romance goes away. So that's a diagnosable disorder is yeah. like being let down by Paris disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it because it like can have such severe actual symptoms like uh you can start having tremors and just like a complete mental breakdown. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. There are positive ones too like seeing the statue of David some people experience the same psychological effects but I like the Paris one. <laughs> it's called two horny disorder. I if there's a name for a disorder where you're let down by adulthood. Ooh, <laughs> that, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I will say I did think Paris was a little stinky, but then now I live in New York City and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, it's big stinkier stinky. here. Yeah, it's a big stink. Um, trash day, am I right? <laughs> yeah, trash day. Well, that's my segment. Do you have a segment for us, Dylan? Oh. I've got a segment for you guys. In 2011, a woman who suffered a stroke that left her unable to move lifted a cup with a robotic arm that she manipulated with her thoughts. Wow. In 2012, another woman, she's a quadriplegic, doled out a few high fives and ate a piece of chocolate using a similar mind-controlled robotic arm. Brain-computer interfaces like these, or BCIs, have been moving to the fore as the clear next step for tech developers striving to innovate for some time now. We've all seen this technology applied in medical contexts, and Ryland has shown us what can go wrong with brains, so I'd like to show you guys how human brains are becoming more powerful with the help of technology. Sound good? Hell yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. All right. My first brain tech is an email writer. There is a case study that demonstrates a person who was unable to move their body because of a brainstem stroke who was able to use a non-invasive BCI to communicate. And over a period of 13 months, the participant was able to successfully operate a thought-to-text system during 40 of 62 recording sessions. So he was able to accurately spell words provided by the experimenter and initiate dialogues with his family. And that software went on to become the base code for Twitter. Twitter, yeah. You just <laughs> think it, everything you think needs uh, to go right out there onto yeah. the page. Wow. I always think about that. A huge fear of mine is being trapped in my own body. I'm like worried that I'm going to suffer some sort of something later in life that leaves me unable to move, speak, do anything. And then like, where will I be? And I was always fascinated with Stephen Hawking and how he was able to like participate in the world. And it's like now it, there are people who are less mobile than Stephen Hawking who are going to be able to like thought to text. Yeah. And actually what's crazy about that is my friend Kyle, he had the same brain injury as I did. Mm-hmm. And he had his when he was 11 and he actually is still impaired wow. on his right side. And he just used that glove technology <sighs> you just talked about. Yeah. And I literally watched him on Instagram pick up a block with his hand and then drop it. And this is someone who can't use his hand. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen it in real life and it's, it's insane. It is literal magic. Mm -hmm. So let's go on to an even nobler use of this high tech. I've got Nikomimi and Chipu, a Japanese company named Kyluck Inc has developed a pair of furry ears that scan your brain waves and stand up when you concentrate and relax when you're relaxed. It also comes with a tail that waves when you feel happy or relaxed, just yes. like a furry animal does. Yes. So all you middle schoolers listening, it gets better. <laughs> yeah, wow. and you know, Mimi, while you're sharing your experiences, I couldn't help but feel that... Um, it's kind of selfish the way you've been bogarting the physical therapy. I'd like to use some of this on myself. Mm. Maybe uh, give me some of your physical therapy hours so that I can learn to have puppy ears that show my emotions. Yeah, you deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> I work hard. I guess to look like an anime character, it costs about $100. So you still have enough time to rush to your computer, use your thought to text program to let your parents know that this is the stocking stuffer you want this year. <laughs> you guys, I've got another stocking stuffer for you. It's from a company called Neurobowl, which is a Boston area startup. They've started showing off and letting people try a demo of a dystopic sci-fi game called Awakening. 
Awakening casts the VR headset wearing player as a child with telekinetic powers who must escape a government lab by using mind powers to pick up various toys, a balloon dog, alphabet blocks, rainbow stacking rings, and then throwing them. The technology behind the game uses dry electrodes placed on the scalp and electroencephalography to track brain activity. The software then analyzes that brain activity and completes actions in the game for you. Wow. So it's a mind control video game. However, the hardware is still quite clunky and there's a ways to go before the software is finished. Rob Jacob, a computer science professor at Tufts who studies brain computer interfaces, says that brain interface technology simply doesn't work with some people and saying, quote, the brain is really complicated. (laughs) So we've got a future that involves mind control VR and apparently there's a section of the population that just won't be able to play video games because their brains don't work. You don't like imagine not being able to buy the new console because your brain is not compatible with oh, it. No, mm. I just want to dive in a little bit more to this quote that when written in the magazine just sounds very the brain is very complicated. But I'm sure the way the doctor actually said that to him was, oh, God, listen, I've been explaining this to you for two hours. The brain is very complicated. You're stupid. Uh, Yeah, I think it is complicated because everyone's brain functions a bit differently and injuries are so different. You know, how come I had the same injury as my friend, yet I can use all my limbs again? You know what I'm saying? Like, how come it happened when I was 22 and it's happened when he was 11? Like what? There's just there's so many different ways that it functions and doesn't work and we don't know there's so many things we don't know about it it's like the ocean it's like the ocean in there it's so dark and scary (laughs) so scary you guys i got another one it's not bci but it's brain technology and it made me laugh a company called q30 innovations has created the q collar which is a band-like flexible neck collar for human beings The collar begins by clamping down on a person's jugular veins. The collar then causes the brain to swell and fit more snugly within the skull. Scientists hope this will reduce a phenomenon known as brain slosh, which is the impact of the brain against the inner skull, which is believed to be one of the inciting factors in the development of concussions. So essentially, it's a high-tech choker necklace that NFL players can wear so their brains (gasps) don't get jiggled or juggled. That's... That seems counterintuitive. Does I it? don't know. <laughs> I'm, well, okay. So here's the thing is it sounds like you're making your brain swell, which doesn't sound like that's a good thing to do to it. Because people get brain damage from that too, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Loss of, oh my God, loss of oxygen. That's the worst thing for your brain ever. Right. That's ever happened. So like that's going to give you like slight. So give yourself some brain damage so you don't get more brain damage. I love this device. Let's go buy it. Right. Now. All right, Q30, <laughs> you heard it. Contact Mimi Hayes. Uh, I've got another device for y'all. It's from a company called RAC in Western Australia. They've created this algorithm that can sense inattention in the brain using a neural headset. The headset senses this loss of attention and communicates it to a custom-built circuit board that's plugged into your car's onboard computer system. With this information, the car will ignore any accelerator input from a driver if the attention level drops below a predetermined level. So essentially, your car shuts down if you stop focusing on driving. Oh. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who's especially needy? And they're just like, were you listening to what I just said? What? Can't, that's called a human sorry, relationship. Just... <laughs> you should be listening oh. when people talk to you. Oh. Cam's like, you know those annoying people who talk and want you to pay attention to them? Hate it. Oh. Cam's like, you know those cars that want you to focus on the road when you drive them? Wait, 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 wait. So wait, this car shuts off if you're like, I don't know, texting or something, right? I don't think that it was saying it shuts off, but it will decelerate you. Yeah, if you're not focused on driving. It's going to put just as much into the relationship as you do. (laughs) I mean, I love this idea because I take the bus all the time and I'm always seeing people text. And I'm I'm trying to think of a way that we can stop that. But at the same time, uh, I don't think this is like people are just going to be slowing down all the time and everybody's going to be crashing into the rear ends of these cars now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my thought. That was what I was thinking about. As yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. So I- simple solution. Take the same tech. OK, but instead of 
deactivating the engine when they are distracted, you activate the little needles in the buttons on the phone. And when you try to text, you get stabbed in the finger. Uh Every time the car is driving, it scans your brain, it knows you're driving, and now the buttons are knives. Well, that would work on Cam's Nokia flip phone that he still uses, (laughs) but for the rest of us with smartphones, that'll be something we got to work on. I got a final piece of tech for you guys. Uh, This one is maybe not a BCI. It's the inverse. We're starting to teach computers to think more like human brains. And there's a cortical... Human brains? Yes. There's a cortical computing algorithm that's being developed so that computers think this way. And recently, the technology has shown the ability to solve modern CAPTCHAs, which is the widely used test to distinguish humans from machines. Y'all, the human robots have found a way to use those click here to prove you're not a robot test. We are screwed. Can I be honest, though? I fail those all the time. (laughs) (laughs) What? How do you fail? Oh, you're talking about the okay, the CAPTCHA. Yeah, because they're like, hey, click all the ones with like a car, but they're all like fuzzy and I can't see the car. I'm like, okay, I think that's like, does it mean like in the whole box or like I click? It's just, yeah, I just fail. I cannot tell you the last time I got one of the word ones right. They're like spell QWERB G78. Oh, yeah. Quirb G78. And they're like, nope, wrong. Try it again forever. (laughs) You're a robot. Mm -hmm. I was working customer support over the phone. And one day I got a customer who I was like, hello, this is company name. How can I help you? She's like, "Ah, you're a robot. It's like, (laughs) no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. And she hung up the phone. Whoa. She didn't <laughs> ask you to say which one is a car or not? No, she didn't even ask to click on all the stop signs. Was she referring to the fact that you're just a corporate drone can? Uh, that she well, wanted to speak someone with soul and vigor and verve and light. Let me eyes. tell you, it occurred, the thought occurred to me. But also, <laughs> company policy is that you you have to assume that the phone disconnected unless they say that their problem has been resolved. So I had to call her back. Oh, no. Say, hi, this is Camden from company name. <laughs> oh, I think no. our phone might have disconnected. Can I help you today? And she's like, no, because you're a robot. And I'm like, I promise you, I am a person. And she said, no, you're not. And she hung up. How do you prove that? Honestly, I started doubting it myself. I started having a lot of questions about myself and my own life. Life Pile Podcast is the podcast that learned how to... Read your mind after it fell into a concussion, and now it uses that power to solve crimes. We want to thank the aliens for the tech. We want to thank Mimi Hayes for coming on and sharing her expertise and experience with us. We want to thank Scott Davis for the music for our show. And if you want to be part of the show, you can. You can call in to 720-663-8163. You could also send a text to that number. You can tell us what's up with your brain and those sultry tones of yours. And Rylan is a big fan of spouting those numbers like people are actually going to listen to them. But if you'll <laughs> stick with me, you can bleep on over to our Instagram profile where we've got a handy little button that types them all in for you. It takes you straight to our voicemail box where you can leave us a message about the lifestyles you're living. Don't got to talk to a person ever. That's the life pile guarantee. We're looking out for you. Just talk to robots only. <laughs> you can also follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook. Our handle on everything is going to be life pile show and particularly I want to say follow us on Instagram because we make myriad visual references in these podcasts lately and I put them all up on there you can find the photos of the men who bullied me in middle school on a previous (laughs) post you can find photos of Sarah Adler's family's in quotes cult on there we've got it all so follow us there if you want to catch me this week I will be at the local hospital little Billy is 11 years Eleven years old. He recently survived a glaucoma pangea in his frontal cortex. I'm shoving him out of his chair at physical therapy and taking his physical therapist because I need someone to help me teach me how to use this prosthetic tentacle I got. That's right, everybody. I finally got that robotic tentacle that I've always wanted. Now Billy's sharing his health insurance with me so I can get the physical therapy to teach it how to wag when I'm happy. 
can we catch you this week? Cam, this week you can find me sitting atop my throne on top of my granite limestone 400-story tower in the middle of the city that I built for myself. I'm actually hovering just inches above said throne. My servant comes to me with a little shrimp cocktail and a grapefruit mimosa. I look out over the riches, the gold, the empire, the industry that I've built, and I get a little ring on my Apple 3G 869S4, and I tap the accept button, a hologram of my doctor pops up, and he goes, Dylan, you you have to stop. You, you have to stop, Dylan. And I say, Doctor, I will never stop taking the pills that unlock the other 90% of my brain. Good day. <laughs> and I hit the hang up button. Oh, no, Dylan! Well, folks, you can catch me in New York City. I have a podcast out right now called Mimi and the Brain. It is available everywhere. It also has potential for growth. So if you get all caught up, don't you worry. I got plans in the works. If you're not feeling my voice on the audio, you can read my book. Um, it is called <laughs> I'll Be Okay. It's just a hole in my head. It's available everywhere. And if you happen to be in New York City, my next show is Tuesday, December 4th at Caveat. That is in Manhattan. And it is at 7.30 p.m. And that is a show called Story Collider, where I'm actually going to talk about um, my brain and the crazy stories that happen. So um, come by Story Collider, caveat, um, Tuesday, December 4th. Awesome. That's so cool. And if you guys want to catch me, I'm going to be at the local Barnes & Noble. I'm going to be doing a book signing. And uh, yes, it's right. It's Mimi Hayes. That's my name. And no, don't ask me for ID. I'm going to autograph that copy of that book for you right now. Let's put them at the front of the store, why don't we? Hell yeah. This is Life Pile, Lightro Life on Fire.